You are listening to How to Rewrite Your Stars, the podcast that is all about helping you to change those stubborn patterns that seem as firm as the constellations in the sky. Here, you'll find people just like you, sharing their stories of triumph, courage, and hope. How they were able to rewrite the stars in their own life. This is the show for you if you've been looking for that person who overcame, whom you can relate to, or if you're looking for the tools to be able to change your own story. I'm your host, Benjamin Fincher, a life coach and mentor who's been working on self-mastery since I was nine years old. Join me now as I welcome another phenomenal guest to have them share their story with us today. Today's episode is sponsored by Starlight Mentoring. Hello, welcome back to another episode of How to Rewrite Your Stars. I'm your host, Benjamin Fincher, joined today by Gary Arnell. Super glad to have you, Gary. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Appreciate the invite. Absolutely. So Gary Arnell is a chief, is the chief administration officer at Williamsburg Learning, an online secondary school. He is also the founder of Culture Stack, a blog and podcast that explores the relationship between the moral, political, economic, and cultural ideas that compromise every society, and is especially interested in the mixture that created Western civilization, which has been responsible for more freedom, prosperity, and health than any other in human history. In his spare time, Gary enjoys family, community service, travel, and the outdoors, especially canyoneering. And I just got to say, before we dive into this, um, those that have listened to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about Greg Denning, and I had him on the show about 10 episodes ago. Excuse me. And Greg has a podcast, and I saw that Gary was a guest on Greg's podcast, and I'm like, oh, that, that's got to be good, because I went to Williamsburg Learning when it was still Williamsburg Academy, which is where I even met Greg. So... In a lot of ways, this is all just coming full circle, and I love it. And I listened to this episode that Gary and Greg did, and I was just blown away. And I was like, dude, I got to have Gary on here and like get more on an individual basis with this. I, I think I'll reference that episode in the show notes, too, that you and Greg did so that people can go great. hop over there yeah, and listen great. to that if they want. That was a lot of fun. But I'm stoked. I'm super stoked. So... I, I'm not even sure where to start with this because <laughs> there's so much. Um, I guess maybe, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis kind of what that episode with you and Greg entailed? And obviously that's a tall order, but. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so like you said, uh, Greg and I knew each other from Williamsburg um, and the academy still there. It's just a private school. Williamsburg Learning has partners with non-private entities, you know, public schools and so forth. So it's okay. still there. But okay. um, so, yeah, we, we worked together there uh, for quite a while. Um, Greg, of course, is a world traveler and uh, knows lots of people in lots of different countries. And uh, we've continued to stay in touch uh, since that time. And we've done a number of things that in the outdoors, canyoneering usually, right. uh, which is uh, the, you know, basically repelling through slot canyons in places like Zion National Park. There's places in Europe where it's done as well, but 
It's a way to get into nature that not very many people can go and do because it requires that technical element of rope work and and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a lot of time to hike and 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 walk and talk with with your companions as you're doing that. And so we always engage in really fun conversations. And so that's where the kind of the genesis of me going on his podcast was from is you know from those conversations we were having in the, out in the outdoors. But basically, we talked about. Um, you know, trying to understand where Western civilization is right now, um, particularly America, but large, you know, the larger scope of Western civilization and the the transformations that are occurring within it, which certainly impact, I think, uh, the work that that you do, um, because we're all boats floating on the ocean of Western civilization and oh, yeah. and, and America. Um, how we talked about how uh, America had its initial founding back in the 1700s, uh, a founding of classic liberalism, which is a certain set of ideas about the purpose of life and the purpose of government to support that purpose of life. And America really underwent a second founding about 100 years later when progressivism came along. And so we talked about that and how that's different and how that, uh, how that prescribes a different purpose of life and of government and how we're going through now a third founding right now. And it's, it's why, it's why you experience this, this tumult in societies because we're literally changing our society. It's changing underneath us for better or for worse. And that's a you know conversation certainly to be had, uh, but we're now in a third founding, which is uh, you might, it's, it's a little more difficult to label because there's a lot of, of uh, splinters or, or factions of it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's basically a Hegelian, um, Marxist, um, postmodern um, um, identity-based uh, worldview that we're now moving towards. And uh, what I did is something I learned when I was in my graduate program is that you can model any any society uh, by looking at uh, it. Basically, has layers, and this is where the the name of my own podcast and, and blog came from. It's called Culture Stack, and it's the idea that any culture, any society throughout history can be modeled by looking first at its moral layer, uh, which is the, what it what it believes about right and wrong, good and bad, evil, the purpose of life, whether there's a heaven or not. Mm-hmm. And you've got Buddha, you've got Christ, you've got Moses, you've got Marx, you know, prophets, poet, Homer, prophets, poets, philosophers. They're the ones who espouse these ideas that give us a moral layer. And on top of that, you have a political layer, which is where you have statesmen um, who codify, who say that that moral layer, we need to make that the layer for our society. And so they codify it. And so you see the Greek states being built on Homer's ideas of, of the right way to live. You see uh, communist countries being based on the way that Marx said that we should, that we live. You have Western civilization being built on a combination of Judeo-Christian. So you've got, you've got Moses, you've got Jesus. uh, You've also got some Greek and Roman influence that came in there. Um, And they, they codified uh, the, the, the legal structure 
like the Constitution, for example, uh, based on that moral layer. So you've got the moral layer, the political layer, and then on top of that, you've got an economic layer. Uh, there's been feudalism, mercantilism, capitalism, free enterprise. There's a lot of different ways to for people to interact with one another. Socialism, these are ways that people interact with one another, and they're built on or influenced by the layers underneath, the moral and the political. And that, and you know, you could have capitalism in America, which will look very different than capitalism in China, for example, because the moral and political layers underneath capitalism are very different. So capitalism manifests itself quite differently in those in that environment. And okay. then on top of that, you have the cultural layer, which is what does family look like? Are there churches? What do they look like? And what are the, what purposes do they serve? How do we treat the the poor, the needy, the elderly, if we treat them at all, like Sparta? You know, if you were weak, you died. And that was okay because that was, you know, the Spartan ethic embodied that, you know, way of being. We are warriors. So, we're warriors. Exactly. It was, it was a, it was a martial society, whereas ours is a, a commercial society. And there's, there's, there's different kinds of societies and they all flow up from that moral, political, economic, cultural. And by understanding the interplay of those, you can see, you can, you can better understand what's happening in the world around you. Um, you can better discern what's happening in the news. Uh, for example, you get a lot of talk right now about the, the evils of capitalism, where you might actually the, – the evils that they're talking about really are probably concerns they have at the, about the moral and the political layer, but they're like mislabeling those concerns. Like capitalism doesn't take care of the poor. It's like, aha, there's a, there's a moral there's a moral assertion in there that the economic system should be taking care of the poor. Um, and so it's like, well, let's go look at the fathers of, you know, let's go look at Adam Smith, for example. What did he say about, you know, free enterprise? So you can you can pick apart and better understand what's happening around you. So we talked about that, that, that stack. We talked about um, those three foundings of America. And we talked about uh, what individuals, citizens can do or ought to do. Uh, to participate in that, because if we, you know, we're all, like I mentioned before, we're all boats floating on the sea of whatever culture and society we live in. Mm -hmm. And if that, if that current is going in a certain way, we may have an opinion about where we want that current to go. We may, it may be headed towards a waterfall or maybe, you know, it, it, it might, you know, what, what is it heading towards choppy waters? Is there anything we can do about that? So those are basically in a nutshell, really quickly, uh, the kind of the, some of the topics we covered. Yeah, that was beautifully summed up way better than I could have ever attempted to, <laughs> at least at the moment. I'm striving to learn more to be able to articulate like that. Um, and, and as you're saying that, I know you'd mentioned in your podcast with Gary that it's kind of like a technology stack, like a, you said something like a server stack or something. It also makes me think of, I'm trying to remember the name, but those science experiments where you stick various layers of like sediments in particular organic matter and if you set them in the right order then you create a viable system but if they're in the wrong order then it all dies I, i'm trying to remember it's like done in a bill jar do you know what i'm talking about there would happen to know the i'm name? not but that but that makes a lot of sense you know it's like with a recipe when you um you know you you add the ingredients in a certain order or you get a very different end result yeah. and understanding the right order understanding the ingredients helps you improve the recipe and you know, you're right about that stack idea my 
professional backgrounds in in technology and so there is the concept in technology of of a stack you know what do you what's your server what operating you know what operating system are you running on that server what software are you running on that server so like a lamp stack if you're a technology person would be you know linux apache uh, MySQL, PHP. So anyway, you know the the idea that yeah, in society there's a stack as well that um, you can just like with that soil example, um, you might need to know how the interplay between them and tweak that, and that'll give you a, the end result that you want. And the same is true of this culture stack that um, what ails us may not be at the cultural level. It may not be at the economic level, even though that's where you see a lot of the attention being paid. The problem may be at the political layer. The problem may be at the moral layer or the or the what's actually shifting may be at the moral layer. And, and I would that's the argument that I was making in that particular conversation with Greg is that um, you know, like tectonic plates, um, when they shift against one another, you get earthquakes, and that's what we're that's what we're experiencing in our society right now. Are the earthquakes as the as, as we're shifting the plates underlying our society? We're shifting from well, I would say we shifted over a hundred years ago away from the Judeo Christian um, morality that was the original plate that that America was founded on. You can go back to the founders and the people that they read. And it's just, it's so clear. It's crystal clear yeah. that they were building a society based on that moral foundation. Um, you Then you got people like Wilson, Roosevelt, uh, and others who came along 100 years later and said, we need to shift that. We need to shift the morality. But we're seeing an even bigger moral shift now to um, – and it's not the first one. This has been going on for 200 years as well. We're just seeing it a lot in popular culture in particular and at the university and in corporations. It's it's really manifesting itself throughout the different areas of society right now, which is this shift to a more Marx, um, uh, giving giving deference and preference to Marx and and his ideas and the ideas that 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 sprang from him. There's he's way up the 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 genealogical ladder. You might say there's been a lot of other thinkers since him, but you can trace them back to him and to to Hegel, his his mentor. Um, and we're and so that that moral system, which is very different than the Judeo Christian, we are shifting to that. And so that shifting is what causes you know, people don't understand well, why am I being called racist, for example. Well, it's because there's different net definitions of that word depending on which moral foundation you're coming from. And so if you're on a Judeo Christian uh, foundation, for example, if that's your background, and you get someone from the the Marxian background calling you racist, they're thinking of a very different meaning of the word. And you're thinking of your meaning. And so we almost have a, you know, to use a, a biblical reference, we almost have a Tower of Babel situation going on right now in America yeah. where where people are using the same words, but they have a different dictionary. And so they're talking past one another and it's creating a great deal of friction and, and frustration and, and anger and even violence. And um, so it'll be interesting to see where our society goes, um, but that's that's kind of what makes me tick is I'm trying to understand uh, what's happening, you know, to the world that I'm trying to build, you know, help build or or perpetuate for my children and grandchildren, um, and you know, is it is it leading to greater happiness and greater human flourishing, or are we heading in a, in a wrong direction? So that's kind of what I do in in my spare time is is delve into those subjects. Right. And at the place I'd just been working as a piano repairman, I had a coworker that was super into philosophy and, you know, we'd get talking, you know, all the time after I was done working and he was there and, you know, he'd be talking about Plato and Aristotle and Nicomachean ethics and, you know, all these different things from, you know, 
a couple thousand years ago that I'm not entirely sure why I always just dismissed them. I think I had one of my teachers give me a comment that kind of said philosophy was bad. And so I just kind of have ignored it until finally this year. And then I'm like, wait a second, this stuff actually has some stuff to it. And so you know, I've been kind of diving into that with him. And I'm just like, wait, like, there's like some stuff here that seems good. And at the same time, you know, I'm just barely scratching the surface. And then I like look at you and I'm like, wait, like, what does Gary think about like, you know, Nicomachean ethics or, you know, all these other things like the, that happiness is the, um, however Aristotle says it, basically the, the end for its own end. And it's just gotten very interesting for me and it's kind of opened up a new world of like oh wait this is like and philosophy defined is the science of thinking right yeah the love of wisdom you know it's i i feel like because i didn't learn this stuff until i was a parent you know after my graduate program i was in graduate school when i started to learn about this stuff and honestly it feels like uh, an a stolen inheritance in that um the life that you and I live, this pro- this living in this prosperous, free, healthy society where we can each pursue a purpose. You know, you know, you you speak a lot and speak with a lot of people about finding your purpose. You know, what is your vision for your life? Um, think back to two hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, no, two just two hundred years ago, three hundred years ago, and then all of human history before that. How many people? even got to ask those questions for what, what we now, what you now are trying to pursue as a career would have been an absolute luxury at any other period in human existence. So it's like, what changed, what made it so that Benjamin Fincher could even have a podcast that talks about rewriting your stars and finding out your vision and saying, Hey, everyone can do this because that hasn't always been true. In, in human history, most people were serfs. They were peasants. They were, Ill, you know, illiterate. They were innumerate. They, you know, they they were living in poverty. They had short, nasty, brutish lives. You know, it's it. There's there's a lot of human history that was just waiting for the next um, Mongolian uh, conqueror to you know to take over your village. You know, it's it's it was it was. Well, we 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 are the most blessed and fortunate of. I would say, I think of, you know, in general, generally speaking throughout human history. So what changed, what made that possible? And that's, you know, that's part of what philosophy tries to, tries to explore is, is, you know, what, what we have, what I would propose is that what we, what we have, the, the, the privileges that we enjoy are not the norm and they're not self-perpetuating. And Mm -hmm. that's the most, that's the most concerning thing to me is that freedom and human rights um, are not they, 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 they required a an understanding of human nature of the human condition um, and creating structures that channeled power as far as government goes because most governments in the past existed for the benefit of a very few and everyone else got the short end of the stick. And the the American dream, the the idea behind Western civilization is that no, no, the common man, the common man can live an excellent life, can live an extraordinary life. 
uh, can be happy. Yeah. And so that conversation that's been going on for thousands of years of, of, of wrestling with those questions really came to, you know, starting particularly in the West, at least with people like Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Hume, uh, Aquinas, etc. Um, it came to a really a, a blossoming in the 16 and 1700s. Uh, and you had this unusual generation of people. Um, in Europe and then in America with the Enlightenment, for example, and then over in America where they where they brought all these ideas together and and figured out how to create to structure a, a government a, around those ideas. And so many people start with like the Declaration and the Constitution and say that's that's where they start, and they don't look at the writings that gave birth to. The right. Declaration like, and the well, Constitution. Was it Locke that you mentioned in one of your Locke? Yeah, couple? Locke. Locke was he was huge. Locke was huge. You go read, you know, Madison, and he's channeling Locke. Um, the, so you've got, you know, I went and looked. I live in the state of Utah, and I went uh, a year or so ago. Went back and looked at the um, the civics curriculum taught in Utah high schools, and it like it starts basically at Constitution, Declaration, and Constitution, and those two documents are fantastic. And there's yeah. so much, so much conversation you can have, but it's so much richer and better if you go one layer deeper. It's like they left out the first chapter of about freedom. It's like you have to go that you have to go to that next layer down at least and study the writings at the time of the founding that gave birth to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution to understand the mindset and the understanding about human nature that that gave birth to those two documents and from those from that birth gave birth to the the enormous explosion in innovation creativity growth personal growth and therefore community growth and therefore societal growth uh, that came out of um out of the enlightenment out of what has become Western civilization. So, so yes, philosophy, absolutely. That that's why I feel like it's, it's a, it's a lost and it's a stolen inheritance is because those ideas, um, they're, they're rare in human history. They're not self-perpetuating. They're not intuitive. They're not intuitive. That's what perhaps has been the, the biggest thing that st struck me is that the, the they're not intuitive. You have to wrestle with them and and see them from this from this from their perspective and like why did you do it that way? Why did you set things up that way? And well, here's why. Do 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 do. And they go through the the line. And like if we in don't the Federalist Papers is where it kind like of in the Federalist Papers, yeah, they right? they just labored and wrestled with all these questions, and so. Um, by not, if we don't study those same things, we run the risk. It's, it's kind of like, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan. I, I really enjoyed this, the, at least the first three Star Wars movies. And right. in, in the very first one, there's Luke Skywalker in the Millennium Falcon for the very first time with Han Solo. And he's like, why don't you just make the jump to hyperspeed? And, he's like, and Han, Han Solo, who's the experienced pilot, says, well, well, if I did that, I might fly through an asteroid field or something like that. Han Solo knew that the, the full journey to where they're trying to go had obstacles in the way. And that you had to navigate around or you wouldn't make it to your final destination. Whereas Luke Skywalker was completely unfamiliar with interstellar travel, had no idea about the obstacles and wanted to just jump the gun and, and travel in the wrong direction is essentially what he wanted to do. Yeah. He didn't know that there was a navigation required to avoid the obstacles. And freedom is very much like that. There are many obstacles, mostly within our own nature, that we have to navigate around and 
and take into account when building societal structures, including government. There's other societal structures that have to be built, and there's an interplay between them. You've got family, you've got government, you've got community, the arts, churches, schools, businesses, etc. There's There's a number of – and they've got an interplay, and they can interplay wrong. They can interplay in the wrong way, and that will reduce freedom, reduce happiness, um, and will um, and so and so understanding all of that. There's there's this there's this basic knowledge, you know, citizenship one hundred one, you might call it, that is essential to perpetuate, you know, freedom and the opportunities that you and I have to then pursue our own individual life purpose. Um, that if we don't perpetuate, we're gonna we're gonna have fewer and fewer opportunities to pursue our own purpose, and instead are going to be listen um, doing what our masters tell us. Yeah. Um, if we you know if it goes to that you know, if it goes to that extent, and so um, and one of the things we talked about with Greg was you know the Great Conversation, which is it's a book titled after a movement. The Great Conversation or the Great Debate is is that philosophical conversation that's been happening for thousands of years. It is people, the, the brightest, the smartest, having conversations over the millennia, battling. It's a battle of ideas back and forth. And um, those, you can go back and read them and, and decide for yourself, did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? And they don't, they don't agree with each other. They're often very much at odds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Marx, for example, is in that tradition. Uh, he's, he, there's a book, you know, his book is included among the great writings because he's had such a tremendous influence on Western civilization in particular and Eastern now. Um, and so the great conversation is, it's also a, um, it's now an essay. There's an essay by, I think it's Mortimer Adler, Mortimer, or Robert Hutchins, um, like decades ago, they compiled a, a set of books called the great books of the Western world that try to inc- take the greatest writings on all of these subjects, um, re- to represent the, 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 the highest state of the art. Uh, is that freedom. those orange bound books? Um, I think they they come in different. Uh, there's different editions. You can see mine back here, not the red ones. That's the Harvard set, but um, maybe right. I don't. Well, I don't know if we're in, on video or if we're on audio, but um, it's it's the Great Books series, Britannica Great Books. You can go look it up on on the internet. Okay. Uh, you can pick it up for a few hundred dollars. Very much worth it, I would say. But the the idea is that. Much like if you were, you know, you know, whatever your passion in life is, whether it's medicine or engineering or law or theater or what have you, there are others that that came before you who also explored that art and took it to the next level. So we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. In whatever field we're in. Now we can do, we can say, I'm going to ignore the giants. I'm going to ignore those who came before me and I'm going to start over. That seems like a very impractical, unwise thing to do. There's, you know, your, your, our lifetime is only so long. There's no way we can go through the learning process that's already gone, been gone through for well, millennia for, in right, whatever field of, of years, for thousands of years. And so, um, the it, it would behoove us, whatever our purpose in life, to study the masters and learn what they knew. And then we might find flaws or go beyond them. We may exceed them. And that that's that's how society keeps progressing and, and getting better and better is people study the masters in the field that they're in, and then they 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 build on top of that. Uh, and so um well, we should it- each yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say an example with that. I saw an interview with an uh, engineer that was part of the Apollo program and that space program back in the 60s. And, you know, the interview was done like less than five years ago. And the guy interviewing says, well, what do you think about engineers nowadays? Do you think you guys, you know, were 
the top of the stuff back then or, and that it's kind of deteriorated and he says you know every age of engineers like we all build on each other i built on people before me and they built on people are like me and others and you know i also wanted to mention about you know that example with hyperspace uh with han solo and luke I actually was talking with a group of my mastermind last night about that same idea with my business. I'm like, I keep thinking I have to have everything calculated out for like, you know, the next 20 years or more and basically make sure I'm cleared for a hyperspace jump. I'm not going to do that. I just need to make sure that I can navigate at supersonic speeds. I don't have to navigate at super luminal speeds, but somebody that's setting up a form of government that's meant to last for hundreds of years does need to make sure it's set for superluminal speeds or superluminal destination. You know, there, there is there, I think there's a difference between what has been explored before and what hasn't. So if, if the greats before us have already discovered the best practices in, 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 uh, building bridges or in accounting or in leadership or dealing with people or whatever it happens to be though that's those are the those are the asteroid fields that we want to avoid we want to avoid you know if they, if if they if the best practices in our industry have have already been identified we don't want to go against those and break them break ourselves against them um by violating them um ignorantly yeah. Um, we want to understand them. That's where the study of the masters comes into be, into place. And then we want to build on top of that. And that's where we're in the unknown. Now we're in the unknown. Now we can't can't be at hyperspace anymore. We've got to, because now we're making our way through unknown territory that yeah. hasn't been traveled before. So there's both of those skill sets that are necessary. One, know what has been learned before so well that you can discover if there's errors in it, because that's totally possible. That's what Einstein did. He took Newtonian physics and said, aha, this is limited. It, it works great if you're on you know, on the earth, but as soon as you start involving things outside of the earth, uh, it breaks down, it's, it's insufficient. And so he went beyond it and he, and he found the, the so, so he studied those masters and then he went beyond it and found where, what, what the limitations of Newtonian physics were, for example. Right. And because of that, we have GPS and cell phones and, you know, space travel to a degree. And all of that is, 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 is impossible under Newtonian physics, totally possible under uh, under um, Einstein's theory of relativity. And so that that I think that would be a good distinction to make is when we when we, when we set out to blaze new trails in our lives, don't you know, don't burn the bridges along the way. Don't, yeah, don't burn the bridges along the way. Learn from the masters that preceded you, which requires humility and requires maybe taking a slower route than you would might otherwise want to do. It's some of us are really, you know, go-getters and quick starters and we want to just go at it. But what, you know, and, and there is value in learning lessons the hard way, the school of hard knocks, but that burns precious time. Yeah. It, it, we only have a limited amount of time. And so that's where, you know, trade programs in college, university, things like that can be very helpful is that if you know what you want to study and you know which direction you want to go, they can they can provide you with those, the benefit of that, that already learned knowledge that took many lifetimes to acquire. So you can now spend the rest of your lifetime in the unknown zone and, yeah. and then add to that body of knowledge. And it reminds me, I've got a couple of friends. One of them studied to be um, some kind of engineer. I forget which type specifically, but dealing with bridges. 
um, at least in part. And they were talking, we were having a game day or whatever, and they got talking about, you know, yeah, the process to build even like a 10 foot bridge is ridiculously long and blah, blah, blah. You know, when I actually like get in there and start being an engineer, like I'm going to like cut that time in half and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, there may be a little bit of bureaucracy. Uh, sorry, bu there may be a little bit of bureaucracy in the process, but there's probably a lot less than you think. There's probably very high percentage of everything that's done that takes that super long process of months to make a 10 foot long bridge. It's probably most of that necessary. And there's very little you can actually cut out without compromising the safety of it. I don't know. I'm not a structural engineer or bridge engineer or anything, but just hearing them talk, I'm like, okay, I know you're not going to want to cut corners, but with that approach, you will, unless you're very aware of what all goes into it. it yeah, it, it it is possible for the arts, whatever art it is, whatever practice, it is possible for it to become corrupted. That That is very much possible. Governments yeah. can become corrupted. The trades can become corrupted. I remember reading a, an article in The Lancet, which is like the uh, UK's leading medical journal a, a couple of three years ago that said that they, su they suspected that 50% of all medical studies published at the time nowadays were – improperly done were, were 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 compromised because the for various reasons either bad practices or more often because the the, the scientists involved had 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 ulterior motives they were being paid by a particular company for example it's like what happened with sugar when the sugar companies paid scientists to tell the world and show the world that sugar was just fine and it was milk and it was eggs and and, and animal fats that were actually bad for us when i was a child i remember hearing you know seeing those those advertisements how how eggs are bad for you um and, and it was all because it's like you know the same thing happened with cigarettes where you had uh you know cigarettes were sold in hospitals to patients in their beds you know the, because there were there were vested interests that wanted to see their products succeed, and so they used uh, the, the the scientific community to falsely tout and promote their product with enormous success. I mean, sugar, uh, the, ob the, the obesity problem in America is largely traceable back to that malpractice within the scientific community, where they where they prostituted their art uh, to a vested interest. And that, you know, that's, that's going to, you know, that's, that we are always susceptible to that. And that is, you know, classic liberalism um, is, I, I, is, is the one solution that I see that humans have come up with. That's, that's what the American founding was, was, was founded on was, was classic liberalism, which seeks to use reason, empiricism, et cetera, to, to find truth. And so you don't, you don't listen to the vested interests, you reject the vested interests and, and, and truth is your actual pursuit. And we could certainly get into classic liberalism and, and, and why it's, because I feel like, I, I think we, we have, we have become illiberal. We are no longer, um, we no longer follow classic liberalism. And so we, we do see that corruption happening more and more. We're seeing it in the universities, we're seeing it in the corporations, we're seeing it in the sciences, um, and we're seeing in the professions um, where 
there, there, there are examples out there of engineers, for example, having their or in school at university uh, because they are a particular ethnic or sexual orientation that is considered desirable. Um, if they get wrong answers on their assignments, they're allowed to pass through anyway, for example. That would be malpractice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an illiberal malpractice um, because the the art is no is being sub, is made subservient to some type of moral or political ideal. That's illiberal. Um, and and then serves as a danger to if that person goes on to build bridges or airplanes or what have or, or car engines or what happens to be, the, the likelihood of error increases because they weren't subjected to the the rigor that liberal that classic liberalism um, that the pursuit of truth would require. Right. And I want to make a point here with that because up until you just started talking about classic liberalism just here, you know, bringing up that example of, oh, yeah, you know, people can cut corners and all this stuff um, or, or they can sell, you know, sugar and tout it as awesome. Many, many, many of my peers that I've talked to are just like, see, that's what's wrong with capitalism, you know. They just go in there. It's all about making money. It doesn't matter at all. Like if people suffer, it doesn't matter. I earned the more money. It's bottom line. That's all that matters. And, you know, they bring up examples of like, you know, when that one company basically addicted babies to baby formula that the parents couldn't afford, or, you know, when a company cuts corners or when that one scientist created the leaded gasoline that damaged the entire world on a severe level in all these different levels. And anytime I've had a discussion about something like that with them, they almost without fail bring up, see, this is what's wrong with capitalism. Capitalism is terrible. And I, I want to look at them. I'm like, what alternative do you propose? <laughs> and it goes yeah, back and to the moral layer. Yes, and that's where the exactly. issue lies. Yes. Yes. You, you can, I mean, capitalism is, you might say it's amoral. It's, 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 it inherits whatever moral framework it's being employed within. Um, it's about the division of labor, for example. Um, it's about so it, you know, that's going back to Adam Smith. That was his big point about the, you know the division of labor. Um, but you're right; it goes back to the the moral layer. You you can be honest or dishonest within capitalism. You can be honest or dishonest within feudalism. You can be honest or dishonest within mercantilism. You can be an honest or dishonest king, you know, within monarchy as a, as a political layer. The question is, what's happening at the at the moral layer? Um, you know, you go, you know, you travel. I, I have a a, a a colleague who was traveling in France this summer and had her. Um, had her laptop stolen, and apparently the pickpockets there are just terrible. It's just commonly accepted that you know there's just pickpockets everywhere. Um, I have a friend who traveled to San Francisco um, in the last uh, year or two, and they had thieves break the window of their car and steal their purse out of their car. And they contacted the police, and the police said, "There's nothing we can do about that. It's so common. We can't deal with it. We only deal with crimes of this level or higher." Wow. And so there's a there's a moral, and yet there's other places where you don't even have to lock your door at night. So it's like, yeah. what ha- what's happening there? There's a moral layer that is different in those different places, and that then bleeds up to that economic layer. People are going to behave. Their behavior within their economic layer is not entirely.
You there? All right, we're back. And that was my internet going out, so I switched over to my hotspot. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hopefully, you can cut that out of the final yeah, final I'll, production. Where did I, where did I lose you? Where did you lose me? That that's where that bleeds off into the economic layer. Yeah, uh, so I apologize for that little blurb, but my internet is still down. So, um, but yeah, so the the economic layer is absolutely influenced by the moral political layers underneath it. And I think that's what your friends are, are referring to. And it's quite honestly, I feel like a lot of our mass media outlets have that same attitude. They're, they're hitting on capitalism as the source of that rather than at the moral or, or, or political layers that are informing people's actions in the, uh, in the economic realm. Yeah. And it ends up as a scapegoat, whether or not people recognize it or not. Yeah. A scapegoat. And they start pushing for alternative methods. They're, they're basically like, like physicians, you know, false, false physicians, because they're not even, you know, experts in that area, but they push for a remedy for the wrong disease. Yeah. And that's, that's what's the most dangerous because uh, you're going to spend the time and the money on that false remedy and likely get something much worse as a and result. That's a lot harder to get rid of. That's even then a lot harder to get rid of. You get further and further away from what the actual cause is, and you get layer upon layer of, of um, malpractice or even obfuscation. So you, you get it get, becomes more and more difficult to even perceive what the real problems are, and it becomes a Gordian knot, a tangled web that becomes extremely difficult to untie, and people get frustrated and angry and despondent and you know, fighting with one another. And um, yeah, it's, it's not a pretty picture. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, you know, I guess here's a good question to ask, you know, what do we do as individuals to avoid that bad outcome and end up, you know, maintaining the liberties, the freedom that we have? Because as you mentioned earlier, you know, we, compared to all of human history practically have the most freedom the most ability to pursue whatever path we want to in life and it's not technology that's doing that just to clarify that for anyone that may think that it's not technology that's done this it's the yeah. system of government it's it I mean, it was based on a certain moral layer, but then it's the system of government that's perpetuated that's allowed this to continue. Like, am I getting that right there? I think so. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned, you know, Aristotle's ethics. We could get, we could certainly get into that because the <clears throat> what we and this is where you know the inheritance, the lost or stolen inheritance that I referred to earlier, I feel is what we are 
what we're hitting up against. Um, people are not dumb. People are ignorant. Um, we, we are highly trained. We are a very highly trained citizenry, poorly educated. There's a difference between education and training. My training is in software engineering, in technology. That's not an, that's not an education. That's a training. That's a vocation. Um, that doesn't teach me about the world. It doesn't teach me about human nature. It doesn't teach me how to live as a human being. It teaches me how to write software programs, how to run databases. Those are two very, very different things. <clears throat> so one of my qualms with you know the education, where, where our education industry has gone, and that's so why I've switched from um, IT to education, is to try to be part of a movement to try to bring back um, the idea that that education needs to be schools need to, need to provide education, not just training. Yeah. Uh, I, I can I think, for example, of you know the subjects that that we teach our children. You know, calculus, trigonometry, uh, advanced geometry, even advanced chemistry and physics, which are all wonderful fields, especially particularly for those who are going to need them for their training. For what you know, if you're going to be an engineer, if you're going to be a doctor, there's certainly those 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 things that they're going to need. But we're giving that to everyone and giving to none of them, pretty much, any of the classical liberalism concepts, the Plato, the Socrates, the Aristotle, the Hume, um, the Locke, the Smith, the Aquinas. We're, we're not getting into any of that. And so they don't realize that the freedoms that they enjoy are built on that foundation. And so they're willing to take stances politically in in the voters booth that are antithetical to the freedoms that they enjoy just because they haven't been told they haven't been taught the delicate framework that's required to maintain maintain freedom and that's where we could get in go ahead or even more scarily they reject it because of the little education they think they have yes yeah and they're like that can't be it of course you know this other solution is it. Um, I love in Louis L'Amour's autobiography, Education of a Wandering Man, um, I read it years ago and had somebody share this screenshot where I remembered this quote in it. He says, basically, um, I stopped going to school and I think it was in 10th grade or something because it was interfering with my education. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the most famous quote from that book. Yeah, he's, he's a remarkable Renaissance man loved loved all of his books, and that's you know he was a merchant. He was a merchant marine. He traveled the world, and and gained all this experience from that. Um, yeah, I I, fe- I I believe we have left behind, and that and that's I mentioned the Great Conversation as being that this debate that has been going on for thousands of years. It's also the title of this essay written. It's it's the volume one of this series that you can go get the Britannica Great Books, and they make this case. They said that Western civilization was built on ideas. It's it's like the first civilization that was built on ideas rather than a common religion, a common ethnicity, a common heritage of some sort. It is a civilization built on ideas. And so it can be given to any other society that we we can gift it. In fact, that's what's happened. Um, These ideas have been given to and and you can keep all your beautiful traditions of music and and food and clothing and 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 your and, you know your traditions and so forth in your history you can keep all of that but be more free 
by implementing the ideas of of the great conversation of classic liberalism. Yeah. And we have we've stopped studying them, we've stopped propagating them, we've stopped passing them along to our children. And so they don't know how to navigate that asteroid field uh, that we talked about earlier yeah. and and propose and and often the ideas that are counter to sound really good but you're but you're only seeing so far you don't see where they actually lead if you follow them to their logical conclusions so people will espouse and and stand for and advocate for ideas that they don't see the interplay that that idea has with with all the other aspects of of human nature and society and how it actually is catastrophic to go down that path um okay. capitalism some of the complaints about capitalism would would be a good example there where um Capitalism isn't meant – it isn't – there's a way to optimally – well, you can do capitalism poorly and you can do capitalism well depending on the moral and political layer you've got underneath you. Yeah. Um, well, what are the moral and political layer? We don't talk about those almost at all, really. We talk about the current events that are happening in those areas, but we don't study the ideas and the philosophy. Um, I think Aristotle is a great place for people to start because he he dives into that question of – what is the greatest good that each of us are trying to should what is the greatest good we can pursue and how do we actually get there what 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 do, what do humans have to do to be happy um that 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 applies to everyone why are we not studying that you know in high school for example yeah and you know talking about that again you know it reminds me he lists out a various number of I think he calls them virtues that each human ought to have in order to be happy. And it reminds me of the founding ideals of America. You know, we really only ever hear about hard work anymore out of, I think there were seven and I don't know all of them. I want to, but I haven't studied them well enough to know what they are. But the one that really struck me when I was learning about it, and it makes me think I ought to have this guy who I learned it from on the podcast as well to talk about this um gov allen if he ends up on the podcast you'll know to go listen to that episode um it might happen it might not but he was telling about um public virtue and he gave an example of it and this um it was one of the statesmen one of the political or the politicians at the time during the revolutionary war had his son captured and held on a prison ship and the british generals and officials were riding him from the prison ship saying hey your son is on the prison ship we are beating him daily um here's what you can do to you know have him released and it was things that would have affected the founding of america in a very negative way and either he responded or didn't respond but if he did respond it was basically like you know i'm not going to do anything i think he didn't respond and I wish I knew who it was, but, you know, and then it goes further and they're like, okay, we've stopped giving him food. And either he responded, you know, resolutely or didn't respond. And then eventually he gets a letter that says, your son has starved to death. Like he's dead because you didn't act. And the reason that this man didn't act is because it was not in the interest of public virtue. It was very much within is within his interest personally as a family man to save his son, but it was not in the interest of public virtue to affect 
his community, his country so negatively for as simple as one man. And we have so lost that. Yeah. Private virtue versus public virtue were two of the concepts at the time of the founding. Private virtue, I think they got from Aristotle is where he talks, but he talked about that in ethics. And then public virtue, as you said, is acting um, in a way that benefits the greater whole. And I, I I don't remember who it was either, but I, I remember that story. And it basically, was either he had to choose his son, or he had to choose if what, whatever it was that they wanted him to do to free his son would have had a tremendously negative effect on his uh, on the progress of the revolution. Yeah, it and was so basically chose, like to refuse to sign the Declaration of Independence or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what the, what it was they were demanding of him, but but it was you know, something was, big. It was something big, yeah. And so he chose the greater good over his own son, which is, you know, if you know, if you're a parent, how do you, you know, they, I mean, I think all of us can empathize or sympathize with like how difficult of a decision that was, but um, even, even the idea of public virtue can be traced back, I think to Aristotle's ethics um, because justice is the greatest virtue. It's, it's ensuring um, anyway. Yeah. We, we could get into that if you'd like, but um, yeah, we've, you know, basically there's, you, you might be able to, you know, there's, there's, it's, I don't know if there's two theories of happiness. There's, there's um, eu- eudaimonic happiness and hedonic happiness. Hedonic or hedonism is just seeking pleasure. You know, what, whatever makes, whatever makes you feel good in the moment. So you're always just pursuing what's going to make you feel good. That's hedonism or hedonic, um, hedonic happiness or pleasure. And what Aristotle advocated for, because he explored, he explored pleasure but he explored um, eudaimonia or eudaimonic, um, which is the the, the 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 life spirit, the good spirit, the happiness, the good life, and it wasn't through the pursuit of pleasure. He he wasn't against pleasure, but he said pleasure actually needs to be sought for within a, a greater framework, um, and you don't you don't begin with the the seeking of pleasure. You have to you know, that happiness is actually. Um, you you achieve happiness through the pursuit of virtue, which becomes character. Um, uh, and when we get, I mean, there's a whole that we could take up the rest of our time just talking about about that. And it probably would be time well spent because I don't know how many Americans ever even hear of that, and yet it is the yeah, foundation. Yeah, it's. I'll, I'll try to give a, a quick summary of it because um, it's it's just brilliant, it, and it's and it it literally forms. I mean, it's, it's pre-Christian. You know, this is like 350 BC that Aristotle was writing, but he was and he was an incredibly pro- a prolific polymath. He wrote books on just about every subject. That uh, I mean, it's just, just an, an incredible, one of the greatest philosophers ever. Um, and yet, you'll still you'll you'll see them. I've seen them online be uh, downplayed or ridiculed as being ancient and therefore no longer relevant. Um, but to me, that's that's just uh, that that's uh, I see our society rejecting the the shoulders that they're standing on and, and and eventually will be like the coyote i don't know if you're i mean when i was a kid you had the wily coyote chasing the roadrunner all the time and he would run okay. off a cliff and he was be above the you know be over the cliff running in midair and then eventually would fall i feel like we in western civilization in america are, are very much like that coyote suspended in midair with our right legs running and then we have this knowing this look of when we suddenly realize that like, oh, there's nothing underneath us, we haven't reached that point yet. We're still running in midair. We haven't realized the degree to which we are removing what what holds us up. Yeah. Um, but 
Aristotle, um, gosh, it is a difficult book. It's, it's a hard, it's a, it's a very, it's a very dense book. Um, it's like every sentence says so much. And so it's, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to summarize it, but it, it might be, you know, I, I did a Google search at one point just asking what is, well, we, well, you know, you can get it from the declaration of independence. The declaration of independence says that among the, you know, the purposes of life or the human rights that we all have are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What does pursuit of happiness mean? It's like, it's written there as like, here's why we're starting. Here's why we're having a revolution. First of all, here's why we're going to set up a whole new different kind of government is to allow for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What does, I think most of us know what life means for the most part. I'm not sure that we know what liberty means because there's a whole there's a whole construct behind that one too. Oh, I feel like that word's evolved over the years as well. That word has evolved as well, yeah. Um, but what does the pursuit of happiness mean? We think we know what it means. And if you go Google, you know, what is the pursuit of, what is, what is the pursuit of happiness? Most of the results will be whatever you decide. It's which whatever is, you decide. Which is hedonistic then, right? Well, it, it can be, or you might decide to that, you know, tending a garden makes you happy. In fact, that's one of the Google results, you know, keeping goats, um, having a garden, you know, so whatever <laughs> you decide, as long as you don't infringe on the rights of others, then that's, that's happiness. And I even see it, you know, I've got this book. I don't think it up on my desk right now, but, you know, George F. Will, this very um, well-respected conservative thinker, I think I'm reading one of his books that he put out a couple of years ago. Um called the, I think it's the conservative mind. I don't remember exactly, but he, um, he gets this wrong too. He, he it's, it's like, no, that the, the pursuit of happiness was not defined by the founders. Like, no, they, they did define it. It was um, Jefferson wrote about how he was influenced directly by Aristotle and Aristotle wrote the book on happiness. And essentially Aristotle said that all of us, everything we do, seeks for the great everything we do is for some other purpose um some one of the examples that i gave when we were talking with greg is you know if you if you have a tool a hammer and a nail you don't just have a hammer and a nail just to have a hammer and nail you have them to build something a house for example and you don't have that house just to have a house you have it so you can raise your family for example and you don't just have a family just have a family you believe that having a family, being married and having children, for for example, is going to bring about something else. It's going to bring about some, some purpose or some happiness. So he said there's this hierarchy in life that we always are – whatever we're pursuing, we're pursuing for something greater. We go to school. We get an education, not just to get an education, but with the intent of doing something with it, of achieving something greater. They're all ingredients in some recipe that we're working on. And he says the ultimate thing that we're all pursuing, every single human being ever, is happiness. We're seeking to be happy. Well, how that is actually, that's the end. It's the greatest good that any of us can ever achieve. Yeah. That's what we're seeking for. Because you don't see happiness for some other end. It's happiness for happiness' yes. sake. Yes. Happiness is the end. That is what we're, that is the, that is the final good. There is nothing beyond happiness. Well, okay. What is happiness? And then he spends hundreds of pages um, digging into what is this idea of happiness. And, and it's not hedonistic. It's not the pursuit of pleasure. Pleasure is certainly a good, um, but it's actually subservient to, it's lower on the on that hierarchy and needs, needs to be compatible with the higher pursuit of happiness. And so in a nutshell, and I hope I don't do a disservice to Aristotle because it's, 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 it really deserves contemplation and reading and, and really wrestling with this. But he said that um, 
Happiness comes by pursuing virtue. Well, what is virtue? Virtue is acting in the way you are created to act. Something is virtuous because it performs the function for which it was created. So for example, the, a Delphian sword, a sword from Delphi, you know, going back to Greece, was a virtuous sword if it was sharp and performed the sacrifice, you know, and it, and it helped you perform the sacrifice you were trying to, to, to perform. If it was dull, and so you weren't able to perform your sacrifice, it wasn't a virtuous sword. And so a cup, a spoon, a chair, they're virtuous if they fulfill the purpose for which they were created. It's like, well, I think we can all understand that idea. He says humans are the exact same way. Humans were created for a particular purpose, and they are virtuous if they are pursuing that purpose, if, they, if they're acting in accordance with that purpose. Well, that, mm -hmm. of course, well, what's that purpose? So you have to ask that question. But he gets into the virtues, and he says, um, there's a right way to act under any circumstance. There's a right way to act. And if you act less than or more than that, that's a vice. That's what vices are. Vices are when you act more or less than the exact right way, which is hard to do. We're human beings. We, we get it wrong, even when we have good intentions. So this is a lifelong pursuit to act virtuously, to, to become, to become, to truly act virtuously in a consistent manner. And, and in the classic example, he, he names like 13 virtues in, in ethics. The, the, I think that my favorite, because it just seems to be the easiest to understand is, is courage. Um, there's a right way to be, there's a, there's a right way to be, to exhibit courage in any given situation. And it may look different for different people in different circumstances. And we'll get to how you discern that in a minute. But if you're, if you're not courageous enough, that's cowardice. That's a vice. If you are, if you, if you act rashly, if you are, you know, too courageous, if you, if your courage is misguided and you just charge the enemy when they've got a cannon and machine guns and all you've got is a spear, that's rashness. So you're, you're, you're over the mark. And so there's, there's, there's too little and there's too, there's too much. You've got courage, right? Is, is the mean it's, it's in the center. And then to the side, you've got cowardice or rashness. And he does the same thing with temperance, liberality, magnificence, or liberality being generosity, um, pride, temper, praiseworthiness, tr truth, truth, um, ready wittedness, friendliness, modesty, righteous indignation. He's got he's got this big list that he goes through and says there's a right way to act under any circumstance, depending on the people that are present, the circumstances that they're in, what you can give, what you can do. So it's it's this difficult, complicated thing, and so you have to spend your whole life trying to always act in the right way. And the picture that comes to my mind is another movie reference, since that seems to be our cultural common, uh, you know, what we can all, right. we all our, watch Star Wars. Probably communication. All, it's our communication. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's our cultural underpinning, right? Our cultural literacy. Like, there's a movie, Apollo 13, mm, uh, that, that is about the the faded, you know, trip where they were supposed to land on the moon, but there was a, a manufacturing defect that they didn't discover until they were in space. And so they couldn't land on the moon and, and then suddenly became a rescue mission to try to get them back. And Tom Hanks started in it and so forth. But there's this one scene where on the return trip to Earth, they've, they've got two pilots. They've got the, the two pilots on both sides of the ship controlling the thrusters on, on each side of their, of their spacecraft. And each one of them are looking through a window. And, and, and in the window, they see Earth. 
and they have to both be working together and using the thrusters to keep the earth in the center of their window. Because if they don't, the angle of attack, the angle of approach to earth will be too big or too little. And either they'll burn up in the atmosphere or they'll bounce off the atmosphere and go off into space and be lost forever. And it was, and it's this really tense moment as they're like using their controls and they're like, ah, and they're, 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 they're you know, a little bit of thrust, a little bit of, thrust, ah, you're going too much to that side. It's, that is, that's like a, an analogy or a parable of life right there in terms of virtue is, it's this constant adjusting and trying to get better and better and better at doing the right thing in the right way to the right people in the right amount of time um, in every interaction you have. It's, it's a huge undertaking, but what it, what it does is it builds this thing he calls character and it becomes habit. As you get better and better at it, you don't have to think about it as much and it becomes habit and you can focus on the next virtue. You can focus on taking it to the next level. So you're building, you're acting and you're living in a virtuous way throughout your entire life, um, trying to build character. And as, and it's like, well, okay, that's great. But how do you know the right way to act? You know, what, how do you know? What is, what is the way you should act? And he says, well, everyone is born with this internal guide that tells us the right way to act. He says, I don't, I don't know what, where it came from. I think it's of divine origin. He said, I call it reason, right reason, right rule. Those are all phrases he uses to describe it. But there's, there's a voice, there's this voice inside each of us and we have to cultivate it, listen to it act in accordance with it, that's our guide. And so if you follow this voice that he calls reason, some might call it conscience, for example, it's every human has it and you have to follow it and live in accordance with it. And that's your guide to be, to be, to be virtuous in any given instance. And he said, you got to watch out because if you don't live according to that, in accordance with that voice, it will get quieter and quieter until you basically become a beast. And he talks about how men can become beasts and that's a terrible, a terrible place for a human being to be, but they no longer hear that voice. And so they act as a beast. So you've got acting virtuously, building habit and character over the course of a lifetime by listening to this internal guide that he calls reason. And the the thinkers that came after him, Cicero, Locke, et cetera, they all built upon this idea of what, where, what is reason? Where does it come from? Every human has it. And so you see it in their writings. And it is very interesting. Well, I won't go. Okay, I'll stay with Aristotle here for a minute. But happiness is basically the pursuit of virtue by listening to that inner voice, practicing over a lifetime, developing virtuous habits that make up character. It's like, okay, is, there, is that all there is to it? He says, well, there is this thing I call a complete life which consists of four things. You've got to live a life of virtue and justice. Justice, by the way, is once you are, you get to this point where you are, you are managing yourself. You, you have learned and become to a degree that you're managing yourself in a virtuous manner pretty consistently. you then seek that, those same virtues for all of your fellow men. You seek that the right is done to them at the right time in the right amount for the right reason, et cetera. And that's called justice. It's the highest virtue. So there we see this bridge from individual to community. And he then builds from there. He says, okay. so you've got to live a life of virtue and justice. Second, you've got to develop practical judgment. That is a knowledge of things that change because change is all around us. Third, you need to attain wisdom. That is a knowledge of things that don't change. 
And then fourth, and this was a big surprise to me, you have to acquire sufficient property to sustain life and ideally allow for you to be generous and magnanimous, which are two of the virtues. Generosity is what all of us should practice. It's giving to those around us, even if it hurts. Magnanimity is if you are wealthy, you give on a great scale. And so that goes back, that goes, you know, that's where you start to see like, oh, wait a second. So the complaints that people have against capitalism if you're just looking at the Aristotelian model, because we, we could get into the Christian model too, which has something to say on the same subject, but if there's a problem with like, you know, the rich not giving back, that's not a problem of capitalism. They're not following Aristotle, or you might say Christ, who, who also said, you know, take and sell everything and follow me. So there and, and give to the poor and, and all of that. So there's these these models that have a way of taking care of of society. The question is what layer you know, really talks about that. So Aristotle says generosity and magnanimity are the way you then give back to society and 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 support um, support the, those who need support. So that's a, that's a really quick um, it's a really quick way of of just summarizing what Aristotle said on happiness. That mm-hmm. happiness comes from that virtue, character, um, reason model and that and it just it just balloons from there. So for example, he says that as you live that way, the relationships you have with other people, which are a source of great pleasure, which you know that's 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 great. Let's get that kind of pleasure of relationships right. with people. There's there's three different kinds of relationships. There's for, or or friendships. There's friendships of uh, ut- pleasure, friendships of utility and friendships of virtue. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with friendships of utility or pleasure. Those are relationships you have mostly because you do something for each other and there's a, you know, your one friend has a boat and the other friend has an airplane. And so you, you take each other on trips or whatever. That's kind of a, that's a friendship of, of utility where one has something the other doesn't have. And so you're able to, you know, there's a reciprocity there. Friendships of pleasure. Um, you get something pleasurable from that relationship. And so that's why you're, you're there. Uh, that's why you engage in that and you maintain that. A friendship of virtue though, however, is a friendship of, of two people or more who, have done this Aristotle path, who have become what being virtuous cre- be- makes you become, and that the, the 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 wisdom you share, the judgment you share, the experiences you share, um, in doing that together are very rewarding. Uh, and and I'll, I'll give a personal example of where I feel like I've experienced that to some degree in my life. Uh, my wife and I were once asked to lead a, a three hundred person historical reenactment. It's called a pioneer trek where everyone gets dressed up as, as, as American pioneers from our, from our religion and, and reenact what they went through. And it's, it's an enormous amount of work. It took us two years we, we, instead of one because of COVID, but we spent two years planning this thing. And we, we worked with a um, hundred other adults in our community um, and spent those, you know, th- those two years meeting with them, organizing with them, and each of them had their parts. And we had meetings every, you know, every month, and even often more frequently, to help 200 kids. It was 100 adults to help 200 kids, <laughs> and it was all selfless. You know, it was all. It was not about us. It was about providing these young people with a certain kind of an experience. And so we weren't doing it for ourselves. So I feel like it was, it was a virtuous pursuit in, in a way. Yeah. And the, the the feelings that I have towards these people that I, these hundred adults that I work with, not to mention the 200 uh, young people, it's like, we are, we are like connected forever because of 
the work we did together that had nothing to do with us, but was we were serving what we thought was a higher purpose. And that that's one example of, you know, you do that, you multiply that across many people, across many years and many communities, and you get this tight knit these tight-knit relationships. And he says, that's what builds cities. That's another connection you got from Aristotle. He says, it goes from individual um, virtue to relationship virtue to now polity or societal. Those are the people who build and maintain cities when it's done well. And rightly are these people of this particular caliber. They then get together and they help run and, and govern and organize society. Now you can have debates about how well we do that. And you can go and look at different areas of the country or the world and see where's that happening versus where's that not. But that was Aristotle's idea is that you start with yourself. It then expands to relationships that you have. And then that creates people who are then able to create good societies. So you see this, you see this complete model of how individual behavior impacts societal well-being and human flourishing, which it's, yeah. and it's beautiful. And so the question that I ask for anyone who says that we don't need Aristotle anymore, is like, okay, fine. What are you going to replace him with? What, 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 what theory of human flourishing are you going to create? Or are you going to look at, are you going to find that replaces that model? Because that's the model, you know, the Christians came along and adopted that and said, totally compatible with what we, what we're doing. And and continued to build upon that and added this. I mean, I think you're going to find the theological in, in Aristotle as well. He talks about how happiness is the life of the gods, how they're the source of reason, they're the they're the voice that's speaking to us. And he wasn't he wasn't Christian, you know, but he was he's saying there is this higher power, this higher, there's something higher than us, and it is it, it's it's related. They're they're the ones who are exemplifying life for us. We should seek to be like them. Um and so, so there, it was it was very Christian compatible, and so you you get the 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 great Christian philosophers, for example, building on Aristotle and Cicero and Christ, and that's where. You, and so, anyway, it's 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 beautiful, and it took hundreds of years, you know, thousands of years to come up with that. If you're going to reject that, okay, let's have that conversation. That's part of the great conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Let's have that conversation. But good luck with that. You know, you've got to read everything they wrote and everything everyone wrote after them, and find the holes because maybe it did get corrupted along the way. I think there are there are places where it got corrupted, um, and we need to try to get back to or find where did it get corrupted and let's let's correct and fix that. So um, that would be my argument to those who and I and I've seen it online um, people rejecting those people who thought before and, and it's very it's very easy to do it's very comforting to do um, it's a lot of work you save yourself if you don't have to go and read all of those books and have those hard conversations and wrestle with it. But in that sense, you are very, in a very real way, throwing away the the same you know, the, the 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 learning that the that the engineer needs to build bridges, airplanes, and and buildings. You're throwing away the medical, meaning that this is an art. The art of happiness and human flourishing is an art that has been studied. It's a science that has been studied for thousands of years. Are you going to? It, it's a it's an act of great hubris to just throw it out and say I'm going to come up with my own thing. Or to just ignore it and say, let's let's go with this person over here, like Marx, for example. Marx has a whole different theory on human flourishing, and it can be extremely convincing and has been. You look at communist China, you look at North Korea, you look at Cuba, you look at Venezuela, enormous swaths of, of, of 
of humans have over the last 100 years in particular been convinced by it. Um, and it's only if you, you know the other the side. Yeah, now now we can see the fruit. So the people who were first starting, we can forgive them a little because maybe they didn't. It was theoretical at that point. Now we know the fruits, and yet we still have people who haven't studied either. You know, classic liberalism and illiberal philosophies like Marx. Um, so you have people espousing, you know, shouting the slogans of putting on their social media, you know, ideas that flow from the Hegelian Marx concepts, which we haven't even gotten into those. Um, because they haven't studied either one of them, they they can't discern the asteroid fields ahead of them on the on the path that we're trying to navigate. Yeah, and you know, just very very simply, we can look at the fruits: North Korea, Cuba, China, Venezuela. Okay, they are in the fruit stage. Do you want to live in that type of a country? Or do you want to live in a type of country like America where maybe you disagree with a lot of things that's going on, but you can disagree and not be put yeah. to death for it? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. And I, and I would wonder how many people have really even studied those fruits. You know, I, I don't think, I think most people don't study those, the fruits of either. Yeah. And so they hear the slogans and sounds great to them. Um, and they don't, they don't realize the depth because they haven't studied the depth and it's not entirely their fault because we haven't taught them the depth. Our education system does not go into any of this. Um, and so you have things changing underfoot and you, and you can, you don't even know. I mean, one, one example, and I, and I shared this in that podcast with Greg too. So you're probably, you're already familiar with it, but like the word, the meaning of the word equality, yeah. it means something different depending on the, the moral layer, the moral and political layer that the person who's saying that word um is not from so for one of the liberal um perspective equality simply means equality under the law it just means that if you break this law if you try to rob someone of life or liberty then um, the law will treat you the same as 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 the next person who does that that's 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 equality it's equality under the law um it's not a quality of talent. It's not a quality of birth. It's not a quality of of wealth. It's a quality under the law. That's a, that's what equality means under classic liberalism, under progressivism. And we didn't even get into, you know, exploring all three of these. There's, that's worth a whole another you know conversation. But under progressivism, equality means equality of opportunity. That it is it is under 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 classic liberalism, the only job of government. And there's a whole reason why this. That's another conversation in of itself. The whole purpose of government is to preserve life and liberty, uh, life, liberty, and property, uh, property coming from Aristotle's, one of his four elements of happiness, you know, the complete mm -hmm. life was property. And so when, 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 when uh, Jefferson originally wrote life, liberty, and property in the, in the Declaration of Independence, why did he switch it to happiness? Well, it makes sense if you've read Aristotle, because property is a component of happiness. And I think it was Benjamin Franklin, I'm not exactly sure, but they believe it was Benjamin Franklin, who said, no, 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 don't just stop with property, go with the bigger goal, happiness. That came right out of Aristotle, and it's perfectly clear if you if you just go read ethics. So um, under classic liberalism, the, because the, the the founders understood um, power, they understood human nature and power, how how dangerous power is. That's why government was so limited, I and mean, that's a whole another conversation too uh, that we don't really have that our that our youth who go to school don't don't ever really learn. 
the 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 lessons that had been learned about power and how power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and so they the the, the structure the complexity of the under the constitution that model the complexity was there to channel and deflect and it's all about power that's that's what the the constitution was written to channel and separate power um and so government was only the only thing that government was for was to protect life liberty and property from being unjustly um acted against well that wasn't good enough for the progressives the progressives said no 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 we want to use the power of government because government is force so under classic liberalism, force is used to prevent you or to punish you if you um, seek the life, liberty, or property of your neighbor. Under progressive, and they said that wasn't enough. We want to use the power or force of government to also do good. We want to uh, solve society's problems. We want to heal the sick. We want to educate the ignorant. We want to liberate the captive. We want to which absolves the individual of that responsibility. Which absolves the individual. Yeah, that's that's a big that's a big problem with. I mean. I, I want to do all those things too. I want to educate the ignorant. I want to see those things done. I don't know that I can do all of them, but it absol- But it, that's one of the unintended side effects, I believe, of progressivism is that it, it absolved the individual. And Aristotle talked about this. It's, you know, your happiness comes from you doing those things, participating in that greater societal sphere and bringing justice to your fellow man and being an active part of that, being involved in institutions, non-governmental institutions and societies um, that that solve those problems. And it brings enormous sense of well-being, happiness, and pleasure and joy from participating in that. And under progressivism, that was delegated to the government. So now quality is opportunity of out of is, is a quality of opportunity. So now we need to make sure everyone through force gets starts out on an even playing field. So we need to make sure everyone's equal in terms of medical, education, um, you know, what whatever it happens to be. But and which is a noble goal, I would say. I think the the the, the most noble among them, they were they had they had good desires, I think. Um, but the but they weren't they they were ignoring some of the the warnings of why you the government shouldn't be the source of that it should be we the people but not we the people through the government nowadays yeah. what we're having equality now means under under the marxian model it's a quality of outcome which means everyone needs to end up in the same place and so you have to have government use force to um you know have quotas on hiring um and, and and have everyone reach the same destination that this the finishing line at the same time and while i you know that would be that it's utopian in nature that sounds wonderful but the force required to do that by imperfect humans and the corruption that can easily flow, flow from that um that that's 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 what's unexplored that's what so anyway the the point being that if you don't, if you haven't studied these things, you don't even see the arc of the change yeah. of the words. You know, racism now means something different. Equality means something different. Man means something different. Woman means something different. There's, there's an entire liberty, vocabulary shift. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Liberty means something. It, there's, a, there's an, there's a shift occurring in our society as those plates, you know, shift. Um, and because we are, we have a short lifespan. I mean, I think you can kind of see the shifts happening quicker now, but we're like the frog in the pot that just sees the water getting warmer. But we don't, we don't have, because we haven't studied these things, we don't have the longer perspective 
to realize just how far we've moved and we don't see, we don't understand the warnings that have already been made against some of the policies and ideas that are being espoused today. Yeah. Well, I love this conversation. Thank you very much for having it with me, Gary. Um, one thing I do want to hit on before we wrap up here, um, what can individuals do? Because that's one of the biggest things for me and, you know, how to rewrite your stars, you know, obviously we're talking about societal things here, but what can an individual do? You know, I feel like the, you know, the individual purpose that we want to pursue, um, it, it exists within a, a framework of being. We have to, we have to, you know, Buddha was was credited with saying, and I've since learned that he didn't actually say it, that the purpose, your purpose of life is to find your purpose in life and then to, to devote your whole life to it. Apparently he didn't actually say that, but it's it's a very it's a very useful phrase. I feel um, there are things that are going to prevent you from well that for me part of our of, of of our if you live in the West if you live in America part of your purpose in life is to perpetuate the freedoms that you inherited. Now there's going to be more to your purpose. You know, my I have multiple purposes. You know, being a father, being a husband, being a member of a community. Um, there's, there's being a son, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's a multifaceted, right. But there is one that is common to us all, I believe, which is perpetuating and improving, you know, that justice concept from Aristotle. So what do we do? We have to understand it. Go take yeah. classes from Hillsdale, for example, they have online free courses that anyone can take to understand these ideas. Go purchase the, the great book set. Um, go start listening to podcasts, (laughs) read it, actually read it. And it's hard, but you know, in five years, you're either going to be more educated than you are now, or you're going to be the same, you know, give up some of that Netflix and Amazon prime and Disney plus time, even give up some of that sports, you know, watching time. Um, we are awash. We are awash in distraction, um, because we think someone else is handling it. We think someone else is handling the freedom perpetuation thing. Just like we think dentists are handling teeth, engineers are handling bridges, pilots are handling planes, someone else is handling freedom, but they're not. That That is one area that is that must be held in common with us all. And so what, what can we do? I, I think that's the one area that Americans are grossly um, out of step is with that responsibility, because it isn't one that can be delegated. As soon as you delegate it, power begins to centralize, power corrupts, and then fully centralized and, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we there's plenty of examples of, of, of how that's happening. Uh, and we need to do this before it's too late. The, the, the controls, the protections, the checks, the balances are being eroded, are being bypassed, are being cut away. And it may be, you know, I, I don't think we're there yet, but we will get to the point where the power no longer is in the people, that the vested interests are simply too strong and and cannot be, it cannot be changed except through the shedding of blood. And that's, that's you know, a place I hope we never go. So, so study, begin, give up something and study. Yeah. Give up something simple rather than having to give up life. Yes. Yes. You're going to pay a price. You or your posterity are going to pay a price one way or another. Um, let it be you instead of your children and let it be books instead of blood. I love that. And, you know, it goes right back to you. You have to be the change you want to see in the world. I have to be the change I want to see in the world. Gary, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. Um, so 
you know, we, whenever I talk to somebody and they're like, oh man, this, that, the other, blah, blah, blah. You know, if I feel like they're open to hearing it, or sometimes if they're not even, I'll be like, okay, are you willing to do what you want that person to do? You know, like if you want billionaires to be giving all this money away, are you giving money away within your capacity? If you want, you know, people to be treating the elderly right, are you treating the elderly right? If you want people to be doing X, Y, Z, are you doing X, Y, Z? We can't just yeah, shut I mean, off I know all we're, responsibility. We have to be responsible ourselves. Yeah, I know, I know we're coming up on our, our closing years. Maybe I'll just share this one last quote from John Adams um, <clears throat> that I think just says it really well. He said, and he was part of the founding, of course, but he said, um, the science of government, it is my duty to study more than all the other sciences. The arts of legislation and administration and negotiation ought to take place of, ex indeed exclude in manner all other arts. I must study politics and war that our sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. Our sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, national hi natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. The idea being that there's there's this hierarchy of how we can spend our time. If you don't have freedom, you know, it's it's very few people, very few artists that are going to be spending their time doing painting, poetry, music, and architecture. They're they're not going to be able to. That opportunity is not going to be available to them. And so there's there's a there's a degree to which all of us, in order to perpetuate those freedoms, so that we all can pursue our purpose, that's part of our purpose is to perpetuate the freedoms that allow everyone in the future, including our our posterity, to find and follow their purpose. Yeah. Thank you very much, Gary. Um, I hope for the listener, you've been able to get at least a snippet <laughs> of what we're talking about here. You know, you have to take the responsibility. You have to get educated. There's so much that you can learn. And, and I loved what you mentioned at the end of your podcast with Greg. Um, not everyone is in the same position to be able to study, but study as you can. Sacrifice, like you said, those streaming services. Sacrifice that entertainment so that you can learn. You know, I'm striving to, and I'm not perfect at it, but I know it's important and I know I can do it. And so as I am able to, I'm striving to replace, you know, the entertainment part of leisure with the learning part of leisure. Yeah, that, that's a, a good point. Though that word leisure, um, I think you're aware, comes mm -hmm. from what was originally the Greek word of school, meaning that those who had leisure time, because not everyone did. The slave class didn't have leisure time. They were always doing what the masters bid. And leisure was was what those who you know were citizens and not slaves, they had when they if they had time, once they got to the point where they had time, they spent their leisure time learning. Leisure and school come from the same root word. We have flipped that to where we spend our leisure time and it's expected to spend your leisure time in um in the pursuit of pleasure, in distraction. Mm -hmm. And that's just one one more word that has lost or changed its meaning over time. And I understand, you know, I, when I was when I had when I was a fa young father with little kids, it was all I could do. You know, you're exhausted all the time, you know, going to school or new career, or whatever. But as you progress, you get you do start to see more and more leisure become available to you. And and it becomes a habit. It's a hard habit to break to to finish, <coughs> excuse me, to finish your work day. And get through dinner, et cetera, and you and you want to spend the rest of the evening relaxing and watching TV or whatever. It's it's a hard change to make 
to switch over to reading books instead uh, or having conversations with people. Um, but you, before long, you discover the pleasure in yeah. ideas, the pleasure in conversation and how it broadens your mind and opens up the world to you uh, and becomes exciting and delicious and you don't want to put it down. But there is a barrier that you that we each have to get through before it becomes uh, enjoyable. Yeah. Well, again, thank you very much, Gary. For those interested in finding out more about what you do, where can they find that at? Oh, thank you. Uh, they can go to culturestack.online. And from there, there's links to the podcast, which is on Anchor and Spotify and so forth. Um, pretty uh, pretty infrequent because um, I spend a lot of time trying to understand something before I will actually you know, uh, you know, know, speak on it. But that's where they can go, culturestack.online. Thank you. Excellent. And for listeners, remember, you can rewrite your stars. And a lot of that hinges on taking your individual responsibility for that. And you know, maybe a little bit more of a heavy episode when it comes to responsibility, but I think it is very, very important that we recognize and understand this. And even if you're not in the United States of America, you know, I know I have a lot of listeners outside of the United States. It's important wherever you are to understand your responsibility with yourself and your responsibility with your community and your nation. And go out there, rewrite your stars and make sure you're you know, standing on the shoulders of the giants and understanding them before you just start toppling them. Awesome. Thanks, Benjamin. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I hope that you've been able to gain that missing piece or get that gold nugget you've been needing to continue rewriting your life how you want it to look. Until next time, I'm Benjamin Fincher, helping you to rewrite your stars.